On October 12th at 10.15 p.m., I'm going to be getting on a plane with nine other people, and hopefully by 3 o'clock the next afternoon, we will be in Krakow, Poland. And not really sure why I'm going. It's a short-term mission trip. We're spending two weeks with Graceland Ministries, the leaders of whom are Jay Boyer and Colette Layden. And a little over 20 years ago, we laid hands on them. Right, Actually, would have been further out. We had a different platform at that time. We laid hands on them and sent them off into that mission work. But I'm not very proficient with other languages, and I'm wondering, you know, what am I getting myself into? I'm getting a little better with some of your names here at HCC, but I didn't really soar through French in high school. I worked at a campground in Cavendish PEI during the summers, and I was in the registration office, and we had a lot of French people coming through. So I, I finally just came up with questions. And I, I would just say, Don Lebois, in the woods, do you want to have a campsite in the woods? Or, or avec l'eau, water, et électricité, et septique. Those words were easy to do because there was some familiarity there. But then I faked my way through Greek in Bible college. I don't know yet how I passed it. And still use it a little bit, but there are other books you can help that will help you to understand it. And then uh, we have a Spanish-speaking person living in our house. And I looked at her Bible, and I can understand some of the words and some of the names that are in there because there's a familiarity there. But Polish, that's different altogether. I know some of you are getting tired of hearing me talk about the fact that four and a half years ago I had surgery for colorectal cancer. And the result of that has me with this number one question when I go to Poland. Like, where is the toilet? So here, this is what it looks like in Polish. Like, how could you ever pronounce that? And here is the pronunciation. And I figure, I'm just going to go with toileta and say it with urgency. Toileta! And, and, and they will hopefully guide me in the right direction. But uh, whenever one of your, like a family member, parent or something, comes to visit here from the country you grew up in and they don't speak a word of English... I will memorize hello and welcome to our church in that language. And like th this is Vietnamese. And I was practicing. This young couple that attend here, they said his parents are coming to visit this Sunday. So I had hello and welcome to our church already. And then they didn't come that Sunday. And then they came the next week, but they arrived after the worship had started. And I, I wanted to get this out. So, Sin Chao. Chao Mung Ba Den Nod, To Cha Chung Toy. And they just looked at me, huh? <laughs> After all my practice. Like, when you, you listen on the, the cheat thing on Google Translate, and it, it doesn't help you very much. So, why am I doing this? I've been sending off short-term mission teams for over 20 years. We've been praying for them. We help them raise money, and then we pray for them again. But I've decided it's time for me to go on this trip. But I have a concern in that I am not going to properly be able to 
basically tell them about salvation through Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that I won't be able to clearly get that message across. But fortunately, English is spoken in Krakow, and this school teaches English, and they use the Bible as curriculum. So it's English only around Graceland School. So we're praying that God is going to do some amazing things through our efforts. But if we're all descendants of one couple, like why are we so different? Like why are there so many different languages that bear no resemblance to one another? Why are there so many different races that vary in appearance and custom? Like in this era of global trade and satellite communication, like why do these language barriers still exist? Why, why don't we all just speak this one language? I know that English has kind of bullied its way in there a little bit, and most people in the world are attempting to speak it. And it is actually spoken by 1.39 billion, while Mandarin is next at 1.15, and then Spanish comes in third at 661 million. But I think the answer to that question is in Genesis chapter 11. The account of the Tower of Babel is another one of those stories that skeptics like to criticize. They, they ridicule it as fantasy, but by faith I accept it as truth. It's verified by archaeological discoveries and by linguistic studies, and once we understand the story, it helps us to relate so much better to people of other languages and ethnicities. But more importantly, it helps us to better understand God and his purpose for our lives. So this morning, we're going to consider the construction of this tower. We're going to look at the confusion of the languages and then just see a little bit of how that applies to us, like what we can draw from that story. So the descendants of Noah decide that they're going to build this unique tower. And the story starts in Genesis 11, verse 1. At this time, the whole world spoke one language, and everyone used the same words. So their language was the language that had been passed down from Adam and Eve, and God had given that to them. And as people moved from the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. And the earliest signs that we have of human civilization are in this area, in the southern Tigris-Euphrates basin. And they said to each other, Let's make bricks and bake them to make them hard. So they used bricks instead of stones and tar instead of mortar. And Mesopotamian archaeology shows that for the first time, these people had developed the skill to make kiln-baked brick with bitumen. And it became waterproof. And these bricks were as strong as stone. And then they said to each other, Let's build a city and a tower for ourselves whose top will reach high into the sky. And once again, archaeological discoveries in this region show stair-step pyramids called ziggurats, which primarily were considered a stairway to the gods. So we will become famous, they said. Then we will not be scattered over all the earth. But human nature hasn't changed very much, has it? Like, we want to build things. We want to build them that are named after us so that our name carries on after our lives and on this earth. And we have the Eiffel Tower in Paris. We've got 
Sears Tower in Chicago. It's now called Willis Tower. And then there's Trump Tower in New York City. And then names of buildings everywhere. So why was God displeased? Why did he disapprove of this building project? And some say, well, they were building this tower that was so high that if the world flooded again, and they thought that they might be able to climb above the flood. And thus, they were distrusting God when he said, I will never destroy the world by a flood again. But I don't think that's it. And when I was a boy, I remember being taught that what was wrong with this tower was the fact that they were going to build, they were trying to build it up to reach heaven where God was. And I don't think God had any concern about that either. He was displeased for a couple of reasons. And the first one was they were directly disobeying his command to disperse, to spread out in the, and populate the world. He said, I want you to be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. But these people decided that we can be more influential here if we stay together. And this tower, that can be like a focal point for us. And then secondly, they were totally self-reliant rather than relying on God. They said, let's make a name for ourselves. We're going to be weakened if we scatter, but if we stick together, we can be mighty. We don't need to listen to God's commandments. We can do this ourselves. And that's the same lie that Satan whispered in Eve's ear. He said, you don't have to listen to God's commandments. You can decide for yourself. And I wonder if that's the same lie that he whispers to many people today. So God observed their effort, and he decided that he was going to come down, and he was going to confuse their language. So in verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people had built. And notice that no work escapes the eye of God. He knows what's going on here. I read about a girl that was in a Catholic elementary school, and it was lunchtime, and she was at the lineup, and right at the start of the lineup at the cafeteria was this bowl of apples, and there was a sign on it that said, only take one apple, because God is watching the apples. And so she reached out, and then she looked over, and she saw a nun watching her, and she took that apple. But then when she got to the end of the lineup, there was this bowl of cookies, and and she put them on her tray, she put a few more on her tray, and then she scribbled a note, and this is what the note said when the nun went over to look at it. Take as many cookies as you want. God's watching the apples. But God sees everything. Like, there didn't need to be a note on those cookies. He knows what's going on. So now we see the confusion of the Tower of Babel. Like The Bible says in verse 6, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. So the Lord saw the tower, and then he, he said, Now these people are united, all speaking the same language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. They will be able to do anything they want. Now what is God saying here? He's saying... He's not saying, I've got to limit mankind's technology or they're eventually going to be able to do anything and they'll be as powerful as I am because we are able to do some amazing things. 
Just the fact that you can be thousands of miles away from somebody and you can be talking to them on a phone and looking at them at the same time. Like I remember back in the 1970s that this was predicted, that you'll be talking on the phone, you'll see people. I said, no, it's not possible. But that still is nothing compared to what God can do. So I think what he's saying is, if I don't intervene, there's going to be no limit to the sinfulness of these people. The Bible says wicked people invent ways of doing evil. So he's thinking, if I don't slow down humankind's regression into sin, then something is going to happen. They're going to regress right back the way they were before the flood. So I've got to do something dramatic here. So in Genesis 11.7, God says, Come, let us go down. Now that's a hint at the Godhead right there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not be able to understand each other. So supernaturally, overnight, God caused the languages to be created and it caused a complete breakdown in communication that next day. Now, I'm sure that families were still able to speak the same language, maybe all of their relatives. So when a husband and wife got up and said hello in the morning, they still understood one another. And maybe their cousin lived next door and they'd say hello to him and talk a bit as they walked out their driveway. But then when they got to work, all of a sudden it was total and unbelievable confusion and chaos. They couldn't understand one another. Now, my wife Pat and I went to Cancun, Mexico to celebrate our 10th anniversary back in March of 1991. And the Gulf War was just ending, so people weren't anxious to fly at that time. So it was two for one like for the hotel, the plane flight, and everything. So I dug out my hockey card collection, and I sold enough hockey cards to pay for our trip. So we get there, we're in the resort, and I'm looking for the gymnasium. Not gymnasium, that's my age. I'm looking for the workout area. And I stop by the concierge desk. Big mistake, because they immediately whisk me off into an area of the resort, and they're trying to sell me a timeshare. And I'm trying to communicate. I'm just a poor pastor. I sold hockey cards to come on this trip. So we had a little Spanish-English dictionary, and I couldn't find the word hockey in it, but baseball was there. So I said, and I communicated, I sold baseball cards to pay for this trip. And so the guy looked really confused at me, and he, he let me walk out the door. But that was so tough. It was chaos in that room, and I still had that little thing, to, that little dictionary to help me a little bit. Imagine the chaos and shiner that first morning as the simplest of communication was impossible. And they didn't have a dictionary that they could fumble through. So then the Bible says in verse 8, So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And the place is called Babel, since that is where the Lord confused the language of the whole world. So the Lord caused them to spread out from there over the whole world. Joseph Free, in his book, Archaeology and the Bible History, relates that 150 years ago, the ancient city of Nineveh was excavated, and they discovered there this ancient Babylonian clay tablet, which not only told of a great flood, 
but it also told of the destruction of a particular Mesopotamian tower. And they translated that tablet that they unearthed, and it read, The building of this temple offended the gods. In a night they threw down what had been built, they scattered them abroad, and made strange their speech. So once again, we have archaeology confirming what has been written for thousands of years in Scripture. Now here is the origin of the world's different languages. God intervened. The evolutionists try to claim that you know, languages evolved like, from grunts and whatever sounds animals make, and that eventually it became more sophisticated over the years. However, they just can't explain the large gap that there is between animals and human beings. Now, I grew up on a farm, and I know there's no similarities whatsoever. Like, the closest might have been my granddaughter Jane for a while, like, until she started speaking a little more. She just grunted whenever she wanted something. Uh, and she would point, uh, and, and we seemed to understand. But evolutionists are also baffled by the fact that all human languages can't be traced back to one root language. And the reason is that at the Tower of Babel, several different family groups were supernaturally programmed with a different language. Now over the years, each of these distinct created languages have been diversified into additional languages and dialects which are related to each other. And it's obvious that English and German seem to be related in some way because water in English is Wasser in German, uh, dog in English or hound, while in German it's Hund, and there are other distinct languages that have no common ancestor, and linguists admit they can't trace or explain their origins. Water in Hebrew is Mayim, in Japanese it's Mizu, or dog in Hebrew is Kalev, and in Japanese, it's Inu. So there's a big difference, not just in sounds, but in the style of the written language. The Asian languages use symbols. The Hebrew language has distinct characters, but it reads from right to left, while the English, excuse me, European languages read from left to right. So the only way to explain it is that God created it. Uh, Dr. Carl Wieland a linguist said, there is no evidence that these languages descended from a common ancestor. The evidence is wonderfully consistent with the notion that a small number of languages separately created at Babel have diversified into the huge variety of languages that we have today. And the Tower of Babel apparently initiated the different races that we have in the world today as well. Like Charles Darwin tries to say that some races are more evolved than others, but he was so wrong on his thoughts, and evolutionists today are kind of embarrassed to talk about the things that he said. But there's one story in the Bible about Cush, who was the son of Adam, who was a grand, also a grandson of Noah, and he apparently moved to the region that is now Ethiopia and became the father of the African nation. And then later on, Moses is chastised by his brother and sister when he married a young woman from that area. And God didn't condemn this interracial marriage 
he didn't condemn marrying someone of a different ethnicity, but he actually condemned marrying outside of our religion, marrying someone of a different faith. There will be struggles if we are in an interracial marriage, but it's nothing compared to what we experience when we marry outside of Christianity. So God is more concerned about a common conviction than a common ethnicity. Then in Acts 17, 26, God began by making one person, and from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. And God decided exactly when and where they must live. Like one person said, there is only one race, and that's the human race. And that's so true. But clearly, though, there are groups of people today who have certain features in common which distinguish them from other groups. And we have 25 different nationalities in our congregation, which is amazing. And I think this passage in Genesis 11 gives us the answer to why we look different. And once again, Whelan points out that people were separated into language groups, and there were two factors that affected their skin color. First of all, genetics. One group might have had more dark genes than another. Like those that come from Nordic regions have light skin, light hair, trying to bring in all the sun that they can. And then another aspect might have been the fact that they only married within their own language group. So the tendency to break down some of the similarities aren't there. The second contributing factor was climate. So as groups migrated away from Babel, they encountered different climate zones, and this would have affected descendants born in each group. So Dr. Kelly Ross wrote in his study of DNA, he said, dark skin color is certainly a function of living under equatorial sun for many generations, but all human populations have the genetic wherewithal to make that adaption. So the Apostle Paul said to the Athenians, recorded in Acts 17, I'm going to reread 26, but add 27. God began by making one person, and from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. God decided exactly when and where they must live. God wanted them to look for him and perhaps search all around for him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. So God deliberately confused their languages and broke all of us up into people groups that would disperse throughout the earth. And he set the places that they were going to live so that it would restrain sin and it would illustrate humankind's incompetence and hopefully force them to reach out to God. So there's one inescapable conclusion that we draw, and that's this, that every human endeavor must be built on godly foundation. Otherwise, it's destined for confusion and collapse because apart from the Bible, like, we can do nothing. So here are some brief conclusions we can draw from the Tower of Babel. The account in Genesis is confirmed by archaeology and DNA evidence and linguistic studies, and it's consistent with reality. It's evident all around us that this construction that they were doing was futile. 
And look at what happens to churches that try to build without God. It just ends up being like the Tower of Babel. It ends up being chaos. So we don't, as a church, build on our programs. We don't build on the way the building looks. We don't build on personalities. We must build on Jesus Christ because he said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. And when we do that, any divisions that separate people are broken down. And the church is a place where the Holy Spirit makes us one. On the day of Pentecost, that was when the church began. And God actually reversed the miracle at the Tower of Babel. So we're reading in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak different languages by the power the Holy Spirit was giving them. There were some religious Jews staying in Jerusalem who were from every country in the world. And when they heard this noise, a crowd came together, and they were all surprised because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So at Babel, God confused and alienated the people But at Pentecost, at the beginning of the church, he brings everybody together. So God clearly communicated and he united them. So when the church builds on Jesus Christ, it reaches out and it quietly begins to include people from every tongue, from every part of our world. As the scriptures say, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greek slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So it doesn't matter what ethnicity we are. It doesn't matter whether we're male or female. It doesn't matter what our social standing or our economic standing is. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to show you an amazing list, and I don't even think this is exhaustive, but I talked to a few people this week to come up with all the different languages and dialects that are spoken here by people at HCC. And I didn't do very well on some names earlier, so it's going to be the same. But begins with English, French, and Spanish, then Kurdish and Farsi, Portuguese, Romanian, Russian, Indonesian, Afrikaans, then Hindi and Marathi, Mandarin and Cantonese from China, and then uh, Kenyan, Vietnamese, Tagalog, which is the kind of the national language. And then I should give a microphone to one of you Filipinos for Bisaya, Ilocano, Pangala Talk, Pampanjuno, no, Bicolano, and then PEIEs is, is an official language. And then these next three are, uh, they're kind of the official languages in Nigeria. Yoruba, Igbo, Hausa. And then the rest of the list are all the different dialects that people speak here. Itsakiri, Yorobo, Bini, Ondo, Owo. That might be Owar, actually. Is the R or the K silent? At Zako, at Donre, a Coco, a Somebody say it. 
Okay. Akale, Akale, Ebibio, and Ethik. Okay. We got through the list. But that's the And it's likely. And it's likely longer than that. That's amazing. And I'm not going to do what I did in the first service. I was trying to fly off the cuff and, and get everybody to give a phrase in their language. Well, they did it all at once, and it was just a jumble, and then nobody really spoke up. I wanted to hear each individual language. So we'll work on that for some other events. Well, the book of Genesis is easy to believe because it's true. It tells us where we came from, like we aren't here by some accident. We are here by design of an intelligent creator, a divine creation. It also tells us what went wrong with our world when Adam and Eve slipped into sin. The whole world was just kind of thrown off kilter and because of the sin that was introduced in the garden. And then the book of Genesis tells us what's going to happen in the future. It mentions how God washed the world clean with a flood, but in the future he's going to do the same thing. But this time he's going to refine the world through fire. And then Genesis tells us what our purpose is. Until the day that Jesus Christ returns, it's our job to preach and share and teach and share the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we're to... Share that with every nation in this world until every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.